Good morning. Uh, as Kenny said, my name is John, uh, one of, uh, a pastoral assistant here at Embassy Church. Thank you all for joining um, us this morning for our Sunday service. Um, thank you to Angela for reading Ephesians 6, 10 to 13, and thank you for Nula and Anna for leading us, uh, facilitating our worship. <clears throat> Today we're going to be reading through Psalm 20. Um, but before we do, I would like to um, present something to you all. So, during the American Civil War, there was a popular song that was sung by soldiers in the Union Army. The song was called, Just Before the Battle, Mother. And it was written by, at the time, Chicago resident George Root, who wrote many hits during the war. And I'm going to read to you his entire song this morning. Um, I would sing it, uh, but I won't. This Civil War song is from the perspective of a Union soldier singing to his mom. So here it is. Just before the battle, mother, I am thinking most of you. While upon the field we're watching with the enemy in view, comrades brave around me lying, filled with thoughts of home and God, for well they know that on the morrow some will sleep beneath the sod. Farewell, mother. You may never press me to your heart again, but oh, you'll not forget me, mother, if I'm numbered with the slain. How, oh, I long to see you, mother, and the loving ones at home, but I'll never leave our banner till in honor I can come. Tell the traitors all around you that their cruel words we know, in every battle kill our soldiers by the help they give the foe. Farewell, mother, you may never press me to your heart again, but oh, you'll not forget me, mother, if I'm numbered with the slain. Hark, I hear the bugle sounding, tis the signal for the fight. Now may God protect us, mother, as he ever does the right. Hear the battle cry of freedom, how it swells upon the air. Oh yes, we'll rally round the standard, or we'll perish nobly there. Farewell, mother, you may never press me to your heart again, but oh, you'll not forget me, mother, if I'm numbered with the slain. This Civil War lyric, just before the battle, mother, was popular among Union Army soldiers, and it sounds like a pre-battle song. But there are a few things we know today. So firstly, the singer isn't actually a soldier. It's George Root. George Root was paid to write this song. Secondly, the song, if you listen closely, is not about hopeful victory in combat. It's about duty and sadness and death. Johnny Cash rendered his own version of this song and he titled it, The Song of the Coward. Lastly, the song is sung to a mom who has little to no influence over the outcome of this war. I mean, we know that the soldier and the mom in this song don't really exist. And I don't think there's any evidence that soldiers sung this song together as an army before major battles. Do any of you all know a battle song? Uh, what what pre-battle song do we know that is written by the actual soldier who's about to engage in combat, a song that is about a hope in victory, and a song that is sung to the one who will give that victory? Psalm 20. Psalm 20 is a song that the army of Israel sang before a major battle, and uh, this was an Old uh, Testament military practice, singing to God before a fat, uh, fight. One uh, uh, reference is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 
So before we, we read Psalm 20 together, I want you all to imagine this. I want you all to imagine Psalm 20 being sung not by just one Israelite soldier, but by an entire army of warrior men to their king, expressing hope in God's protection, his support, and his salvation. So let's read Psalm 20 together this morning. Psalm 20. To the choir master, a psalm of David, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt off uh, sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May, he, may we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. That was the word of our Lord. Here's the main idea of Psalm 20 this morning. Main idea. We sing for victory in the name of our victorious God. That's the main idea this morning. We sing for victory in the name of our victorious God. So we're going to go through Psalm 20, verse by verse, and I want you all to pay attention to who the soldier is singing to. I told you all to imagine the entire army singing this, but one person probably wrote Psalm 20, or at least most of it. So that's why you'll hear me alternate between soldier and soldiers, speaker and speakers. And here's the outline of Psalm 20. Verses 1 through 5, you're going to see the soldier sing to his king. 6 through 8, you're going to see the soldier sing about his king. And verse 9, the last verse, the soldier sing to God for his king. So Psalm 20, you're going to see the soldier sing to his king, verse 1 through 5. The soldier sing about his king, 6 through 8. And the soldier sing to God for his king. That's verse 9. So let's hear the soldiers sing to their king, starting with verse 1. To the choir master, a psalm of David, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. I'm sure you all noticed the superscript there, Psalm of David. And as you all learned from the songs of our Savior Psalm series, most of the psalms that, uh, that we've uh, heard on the past couple of weeks have, are attributed to David. And I think you can make a strong biblical argument that from Psalm 2 all the way to Psalm 19, David is speaking. David wrote those psalms. However, here in Psalm 20, I argue that David is not speaking. And in fact, the speaker is speaking to King David. So the words you and your throughout Psalm 20 are in the masculine singular form. So what does that mean? Masculine singular. One man. The speaker is speaking to one man, David. 
May the Lord answer you, King David, in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you, King David. So the soldier is expressing hope that God will answer David, and we can assume that the psalmist is hoping that God answer David because David is asking God for help, right? David asks God for help, and therefore the psalmist says that God may answer David. So here's, you know, this is the question I had when I read through Psalm 20. Where's David? The speaker is speaking to David, but David's not speaking, so where's David? We don't know. What we do know may be implied in verse 2 that David is in the sanctuary. So here's verse 2. May we send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. So imagine King David. Who's King David? He is the warrior king of a national army. Imagine him, this man, on his knees, head down, praying to God for victory for an upcoming battle. So this language of sanctuary and Zion, it, it, I mean, yes, those are physical places, but I don't think that's what the psalmist is getting at. David is entering into what? God's presence. David is entering into God's presence, and the most powerful fighter in the land is seeking help from the most powerful fighter in the universe, God. So the author of Psalm 20 sings this, and like David's army, we sing for victory in the name of our victorious God. And David also apparently brought uh, burnt sacrifices and as an offering to demonstrate his allegiance and dependence on God. So let's go to verse 3. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices, Selah. Selah. For those unfamiliar, Selah in the Psalms is probably a musical marker to tell the singer to pause before resuming the next line. And so in keeping with the Psalm, we'll pause here and I'll ask you all a question. In your day of trouble, in times of deep stress and suffering and fear, what do you turn to? Think about it. You're angry or you're scared or you're anxious, you feel like things aren't going your way, or you feel cornered into doing something you don't want to do, what's the first thing you do? Do you talk to God? And while you're reflecting on that question, I'll ask another one. When you feel incapable, where do you go? Where do you go? Do you go to the presence of God, or do you go to the presence of God through uh, God's people? And are you willing to make sacrifices to do that? And I'm not talking about burnt offerings here. Do you sacrifice your time, your money, your energy? Do you sacrifice your own sinful desires in order to enter the presence of God when you feel like, when you feel like you're not in control? Continuing in verse 4, the soldiers sing to David that God gives David what David wants. Here's verse 4. May he grant you, right, King David, your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. David was a great king. He was a great military leader. But don't forget this. He was still a sinner. 
David was still a sinner. He had a sinful heart with sinful desires. And here, the psalmist wants God to grant David's heart's desires and fulfill all of David's plans. I mean, does this soldier know the story of David and Bathsheba if it happened before this battle? In the story, for those who don't know, in the story, David commits adultery with a married woman, and then he murders her husband. And her husband happened to be one of David's best and selfless infantry commanders. I don't know how controversial this is, but in the uh, popular ESV study Bible that most of you have, they don't even address verse 4 in the commentary section of Psalm 20. I mean, would you pray this kind of prayer to one of your friends? May God give you everything you want. No. You would say, that's a terrible prayer. So the to bring it back, the context of verse 4 is that David's heart desired to win an upcoming battle. He's, he's about to fight. He's about to send his men into combat. So he wanted to win. He wanted to win, but he wanted to win for the safety of his men and, men and for the safety of his country. And his plans, fulfill all your plans, his plans, were not, his plans were not what he had on his outlook calendar for the week. These were tactical plans. These were plans of strategy to either seize terrain or destroy enemy forces. And his soldiers, while expressing hope of victory, seemed to have already anticipated the victory. In verse 5, they, it really seems like they felt like they already won. Verse 5. May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Shout for joy. Shout for joy. Imagine, again, grown men screaming at the top of their lungs, shouting for joy. We shout for joy. It sounds to me a lot like a war cry in the context of Psalm 20, right before they go fight. That's a war cry. They shout for joy over what? Your salvation, your deliverance, your victory. And what else do you see? In the name of our God, set up our banners. You see battlefield banners of triumph. These soldiers hope for the success of their highest commander because his success is their success. And imagine this, Jesus Christ followers, an entire group of mankind shouting for joy over the deliverance of one man, where one man's salvation was the salvation of all men. One king's victory being the victory of everyone in his kingdom. Embassy Church, we sing for victory in the name of our victorious God. We sing for victory to our king who is already victorious. We sing for salvation to our God who has already saved. And who does Yahweh save? Verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Did you all, did you all notice the switch there? So in the first five verses, the speaker says, we and our. It's a first person plural. We and our. Here in verse 6, for the one and only time in Psalm 20, the speaker says, I. First person singular. I. That's important. Also, the soldier no longer sings to the king. 
but now sings about the king, which now we transition to the second section, verses six through eight. He now sings about the king, the Lord saves his anointed. David is God's anointed, and God will answer David from heaven with his salvific strength. I know we affirm this connection between God and the lives we live here on earth, but even as Christians, this in practice looks very odd to us. I'll, I'll explain what I mean. So in our current military operations in the United States, we don't operate under the assumption that God will directly participate in our missions. Right? We have infantry squads, but we don't have first squad, second squad, third squad, and God. We have platoons. We don't have first platoon, second platoon, third platoon, and God. I mean, imagine this. You're one of four squad leaders. You're one of four squad leaders in a platoon on a mission, and you're about 100 meters from the enemy position. And your platoon leader huddles you, guys, you all up right before you, you make the final attack, and he says, okay, first squad leader, you're going to take your men, and you're going to establish a support by fire position on the southern side. And then he looks and points to you. Okay, second squad leader, you're going to take your squad and position on the east side of the enemy position. Once you're in position, that will signal God the Father to turn the sun black, providing us concealment in the night. And the Holy Spirit will kick the dirt from off the ground and create obscuration, impacting the enemy's line of sight. Jesus Christ will fly across and shoot lightning from the sky to reduce the enemy obstacle, and that's your trigger to move and assault the objective. Are there any questions? I think you would say, Yes, sir, I have a question. Are you high? Are you on drugs right now? Sir, it's, we're in broad daylight. There are clear skies. The enemy is positioned on concrete. What kind of plan is this? We live in an age where we no longer see the relationship of what our lines of effort are and the clear will and intervention of God. I know you thought that was a kind of a ridiculous story. But I think the reason why you think that story was ridiculous is because the social imaginary has shifted. We no longer think this way. God, to many of us, is merely an observer, someone who, who provides overwatch in a tower or elevated position. And I'm here to tell you all, no, friends, no. God moves. God moves. When you are in the middle of a battle, God is not distant providing you information and intelligence. God is there in your battle, and he's very much a part of that fight. I referenced uh, 2 Chronicles 20 earlier. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 22 reads, oh, and the context is this. Uh, God, this is uh, David's uh, successors. The nation of Israel is about to go to war with for, uh, foreign armies, uh, foreign enemies. And they're terrified. And God says, this is not your battle, it's my battle. And after he tells them that, in verse 22 it reads, And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush. Is that, is that not fascinating? They sung and praised to their God, and then God set the ambush of their enemies. 
The psalmist in uh, Psalm 20 here says that God will answer from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Do you believe that? Do you trust that when you call God for help, that he will answer you? And not only will he answer you, he will fight your battles that you cannot win. You know, this morning, if you don't feel like you can trust in God, I just have to ask, what do you trust in? Verses 7 and 8. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. You know, our tendency is to do exactly that in the first half of verse 7. Look at all our chariots and horses. We will win this war. Look at our swords and our shields and our spears. We will win this war. Look at our lightweight 5.56 millimeter M4 rifles that have a max effective range of 500 meters, one assigned to each soldier. Look at our M1 Abrams tanks that can shoot 120 millimeter rounds out 3,000 meters, capable of destroying armored vehicles and buildings. Look at our FGM-148 Javelin missile that can be fired off the shoulder of one soldier and destroy an entire tank along with its crew members inside 4,000 meters away. Look at our artillery and our aircrafts and the world's 19,000 nuclear warheads that have the ability to eliminate all of mankind. Look how terrifying and powerful we are. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we remember the God who said in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. He says in verse 15, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Do you guys see one drop from a bucket? Not really. Some of you this morning you guys are trusting way too much in your own chariots and horses, myself included. What are, what, are, what are your chariots and horses? Yes, my high income job will keep me safe. My marriage will make me feel loved. My children will live out my success. Those I love will always be there for me and they'll never fail me. My skills and my expertise validate who I am. If you believe that your chariots and horses will bring you victory with God as an afterthought, I'm, I'll tell you right now, I think you are collapsing and falling now, and you don't even know it. We don't even know it. Embassy, when the world collapses and falls, after the chaos and the pandemonium and the debris and the rubble, who do you see? Through the thick fog and haze, after everything's done, who do you see? Jesus. Jesus Christ. We rise because Christ has risen. So, in the beginning, God created everything good, but we humans sinned against the holy God, and we, us, we brought the fallenness of this world. And in this broken world, we feel like we're in a lose lose situation surrounded by our enemies every day every day seems like a day of trouble doesn't it 
You look ahead and you see the fallen world closing in, encouraging you to live by the flesh. And then you turn, and you, you turn to find Satan and his demons trying to influence you in this life. And then on the other side, you look and you find your own internal desires to sin and disobey the God King who loves you. And then you turn and try to escape only to be met by the stench and presence and effects of death that seems so close and near to you. You feel outnumbered and outmatched and outmaneuvered and then something amazing happens. Here's the good news. God enters this lose-lose situation and he wins. He wins. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, enters the world, lives the sinless life that we should have lived, bore the sins of his enemies, his enemies, on the cross, and he died in our place. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, claimed victory over death, ascended to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit to come down to dwell in us, and today, today, we who live by the Spirit share his victory over spiritual death. Yes, Physical death will come, but Christians await their own resurrection by the power of God from the grave to fully experience the total victory of Christ, the victory that he already has. God once had his people go to the sanctuary and, and to Zion, but now through and by Jesus Christ, God brings his sanctuary in Zion to us. John chapter 4 verses 21 and 23 reads, this is Jesus speaking, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. George Root's uh, Civil War song, Just Before the Battle, it's not a bad song, but followers of Christ sing a better song, and it's Psalm 20. We sing as an entire army of God, a song not of sorrow, not of death, and it's not to someone who can't save you, save us, but a, but a song of joy and salvation and victory made possible and only possible through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, the concluding verse of the song. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. David's people spoke to David, right? Verses 1 through 5. David's people spoke about David, verses 6 through 8. And here in the last verse, David's people speak directly to God for David's deliverance from and victory over death. And I want you all, back, I want you all to look back at verse 6 for a moment. Jesus' name, right? You guys are at verse 6. Jesus' name me, in the Hebrew or Aramaic is Yeshua, and that means Yahweh saves. Jesus' name Yeshua means Yahweh saves. And Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title, Christ. It's Greek for the Hebrew word Messiah. Look at verse 6. And now I, I know that the Lord saves his anointed. That word anointed there in the Hebrew, it's Messiah. The Lord saves his Messiah. And as Christians, we read verse 6, and now I know that Jesus Christ. 
And now I know that Jesus Christ, Yeshua saves his anointed. Fellow believers, Christ is the greater David, the greater king and the greater anointed one. So in the same way that Jesus is at the structural heart or the, the structural center of Psalm 20, believers, Jesus Christ is at the structural center of you. God saved himself and in the process saved us all. This morning, we talked about salvation and battle. And um, as I conclude, I would like to ask you all this question. Are you engaged in a battle right now? Maybe it's with a family member, conflict or struggle with your parent, or you know, with your child. Maybe it's experiencing a great loss a loss that you feel will scar your, scar your soul for, for eternity. It's what it feels like to you. Maybe your battle is sin, habitual, secret sin that you cannot conquer on your own. Can't, you just, you, you, every day feels like a defeat for you in that darkness. Maybe it's dealing with feelings of inadequacy, you know, feeling incompetent, or maybe you feel alone and unwanted. What battle are you engaged in this morning? What's your battle right now? Here's one application and advice I have for you all based on what we read in Psalm 20. Do you know what you should do during your battle? Do you know what you should do before a great battle? Pray. Pray. Pray to God. Call to Jesus Christ and ask him to help. I know this sounds simple, it seems so straightforward, it seems easy, it doesn't seem all too complicated or well thought out, but many self-proclaiming Christians don't do this. They don't pray to God. Pray to God. Pray to God with other people you know. Pray with some of our veterans of faith here in our church. Pray to God. As I go through these fleeting moments, feelings of entrapment battle for my joy, I know that you created me to live even in this season of pain. Pray to God, help me see my weakness as a means to cling to your sustaining grace. Communicate your situation and your dependence and your love to Jesus Christ, who saved you, who is saving you, and who will save you. Ladies and gentlemen, praying is the victory. Having a real relationship with our victorious king and loving father, who is always your battle buddy, that is the victory. We shout for joy. We sing for victory in the name of our victorious God. Jesus Christ, the victor, the conqueror, the undisputed champion of the world, who has overcome the world, call on to him. Call on to Jesus Christ, and may he answer you in your day of trouble. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for claiming victory over life and death. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, to establish dominance over the very thing that took you, that never took you. And I pray that we, although we may taste physical death one day, that we will live eternally with you. 
and that we await the day, we await the day that you resurrect all the saints. What a glorious moment that will be, Lord. Just thank you for who you are, and I pray that for those here who have not, who, don't, who, who, who do not yet have a relationship with you, who do not see your victory and your kingship, who do not see that the battle has already won, I just pray, Lord, that you send them your spirit and you have them turn to you in this chaotic, fallen mess of a world. Again, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for claiming victory over all. We love you. And in your son, Jesus Christ, and we pray. Amen.